Our Three Cents is part of the Greenlit Podcast Network. For more information, please go to greenlitpodcasts.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of Our Three Cents, a podcast celebrating some excellent video games. My name is Jonathan Dunn and I'm joined by my childhood friend Chris Dow. Spray starch for a fresh, crisp finish. And my adulthood friend Minty Booth. Mischievous things leave lying around. And we are discussing our all-time top 100 favourite video games. Announcement! Announcement! Before we dive into our latest masterpiece of an episode, we want to direct you <laughs> to our usual places. Uh, do please check out our Patreon page. We are busy hatching plans for the future of the podcast as we are fast approaching the apex of our top 100 countdown. Count up. Count count along. And we have some hugely epic and brilliant things in store for you lucky people. So if you fancy supporting us uh, to be able to keep the content coming thick and fast at the quality that you've become accustomed to, then you are able to do that uh, by visiting said Patreon page, patreon.com slash our three cents. You can find there a delightful selection of perks in exchange for a few pounds, uh, euros, uh, bucks, uh, francs. No, they don't exist anymore. Uh, Krona. <laughs> perks such as full exclusive bonus episodes, uh, of which there is a new one on its way to, which is another corker. Uh, there's also deleted scenes and outtakes, which are excellent and hilarious. And you can also get access to the Patreon exclusive Discord channel, where you can chat with us, the other patrons, and also our smorgasbord of extraordinary guests from this season's bonus episodes. We would really appreciate the support as we are heading fast to uncharted waters and we hope that you are able to hop aboard and join us as we sail into the unknown future and you can also engage with us on all of our social media platforms where we've constantly spewing out excellent content we just can't stop we're too we're too good too prolific go to linktree and it's at o3c podcast and you can find all of our social media links there so this week we have minty booths third favourite game of all time after the phenomenal curveball of your fourth game being a game that <laughs> I've never even heard of and uh, it came as quite a shock to to many of us I couldn't even tell you what we're going to get this week no idea anything. no idea could, could be, be anything. anything could be anything I could tell you but I won't yet but before we do that it's time to return to the O3C quiz oh but before that oh it's time to return to the Jonathan Dunn quiz <gasps> The Quizmaster's Challenge. Here we go. The Quizmaster's <laughs> Challenge. Quizmaster's Gauntlet. It's come to my knowledge recently, Jonathan, that you've been, to be honest, running away with points. I mean, to be fair, you did kind of set the parameters as 50 points around. Oh. 50 points here, 50 points there. Soon enough, you've got big hands. <laughs> it's, it, it's for that reason that I am going to introduce a sudden death round. Okay. So... You like musicals, right? You like fucking Hamilton and... I love it. The Egypt one. What's the Egypt one? The Egypt one. Yes. Prince of Egypt. Journey to Egypt. <laughs> so, I thought I would detail the plight of one particular video game hero in the style of somebody singing in a musical. Jesus. <laughs> For every line that you don't guess which character is singing, you will lose... 50 points. <laughs> right. And if you get it, you will get 75 points. Right. Okay. <clears throat> Here we go. Line one. I'm a hero. Link. Oh, for fuck's sake, that's correct. <laughs> <laughs> 
75 points. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Can we have the whole song, Minty, if you wrote one? Yes, yes. <clears throat> I'm a hero. I wear a hat. I slash up monsters and do stuff like that. Thank you. <laughs> I was hoping you were gonna get you were gonna guess Mario and get just and just get it wrong. A hero in a hat could be Mario. Could be Tingle. Tingle, yeah, yeah. Well, mm-hmm. you know, do you know what? You got it. You got seventy five points. I hope they make you very happy. So this week on the O three C quiz, I've decided to revisit the very first round from the new format of the quiz that we started, which was the Hose of Games oh, round. Oh, I was bad at this. <laughs> All I did in that round is I removed a letter from the title of a video game and then gave you a synopsis of that video game. And as a bit of a clue, all of these games has featured on one of our lists. So you know what they are. And this is also a return of Fastest Finger First. So strap your brain straps on and see how you get on with these. Queen. Question one. In this game of espionage and retail, you try to flog large pieces of metallic equipment. Metal Gear Sold. Oh, straight in there with the correct answer. Well done, Minty. Question two. In this delightful safari game, you get to photograph small creatures ooze tree fluids that will form crystallised amber. Pokemon Sap. (laughs) Very good. Yes. Very good. Okay, one all. Here we go. Question three. In this epic fantasy sci-fi game, you get to watch a mighty wyvern warrior's body fall foul of old age. I haven't got a clue. Well, it's not Panzer Dragoon Saga, it's Panzer Dragoon Sag. (laughs) (laughs) Question four. This classic farming sim sees you slaughtering cows in a monumental cull. Harvest Moo? Yes, that is the correct answer. (laughs) Wow. Okay. He's doing it. This is uh, the last question in this round. Britain is no longer welcome in this first-person sci-fi adventure where you conduct all manner of erotic escapades across Europe. <laughs> uh, I, I wanted to say just Eurofarker Simulator. That's but... <laughs> <laughs> not that. Oh, I've got no idea then. Minty? No, not really. I mean, I'm just trying to think of a game that has EU in it somehow. Come on, tell us, tell us. It's not Deus Ex, it is EU Sex. Oh, fucking hell. (laughs) The chance of any of us getting that was non-existent. (laughs) Well, I was incredibly proud of that anyway. Unbelievable. Well, for this round, Chris has actually extended his lead by another point. Uh, The scores now being 83 to 78 in favour of Chris. He's a machine. Oh, he. So, what have we played in this last week? Minty, why don't you uh, kick us off? What have you played in the last week? Or two weeks since it's been, actually, since we last recorded? I finished Digimon Cyber Story. Ah! Did you find out what it was all about? Nope. (laughs) I just, I I rescued a friend. I rescued the king of the Digimon. I think I got my body back. It's all immaterial because I saw the credits. So, I'm happy to tick that one off. 
However, because Digimon Story on the Switch is the complete edition, I've got the second game now to play, which is Hacker's Memory. Oh, hmm. No idea what it's going to be about. I assume it's going to be just the exact same game again, <laughs> but from another character's perspective. I'm really excited to just really get deep into the um, digivolving, like the, the, the raising of the Digimon side of things now. Because there, there are a few that I've met. Oh, I didn't see that. I didn't see that Digimon that I remember from the show. I don't remember this seeing this one. That one looks cool. That's been silhouetted out, but I haven't got the um, haven't got the stats necessarily necessary to evolve into it just yet. So I think that's that's my next thing. But now that's done, I've also picked up Snake RX on the on the iPad. That is a tasty, tasty game, tasty, isn't it? Tasty, tasty game. Yeah, yeah. Um, for, for, for something that's just little blobs of colour, surprisingly deep. Tell us how it works, for those of us that don't know. Like me. So, we remember the Nokia 3310. Yes. Oh, yeah. That little plucky little phone that was made out of dark matter <laughs> that you could you could drop off a building... You could drop it in a volcano and it would still be like, oh, yeah. <laughs> you've got a call. <laughs> One of the games that came on it was, of course, Snake, where you would you'd control the little snake, try and get it to enjoy some food and stop it from eating its own tail and everything. Snake RX is that, but in a, in a roguelike, or a roguelite, I should say. So instead of um, just your body getting longer as you eat more food, your snake-like body is a collection of different fighters, warriors, mages, psychics, etc. So it's about trying to figure out what the best combination of these uh, of these seven or so fighters is as you fight off wave after wave after wave of sort of, I guess, licorice torpedoes of enemies. <laughs> I think so, yeah. Lozenges. Yeah, just you'll start a wave, lozenges will come after you. Do you go for the melee characters? Do you go for the um, the psychics that have a little damaging orb that orbits around them? Do you go for the wizards and the and the sorcerers who shoot out things? Or do you figure out the best combination of all of those so that they all work together and you pull off incredible combos? It's it's fantastic. It really is. Like once you can get a decent string of different um, classes, and you can level them up into such a way that you can just absolutely melt everything that comes your way. <laughs> oh, it's got a real satisfying gameplay loop. And even if you don't get there, it's, it's so quick. Stages will last maybe two or three minutes, depending on how quickly you can beat all your enemies. Even if you don't find yourself with a, with a particularly good loadout, you can chop and change. You can sell the classes you've got in your current snake. You can buy more. You can level up runes that you get from beating bosses. So, yeah, it's one of those ones that just escalates very gently, but also in a way that you're like, oh, wow, I really felt getting that upgrade. It's really, really cool. Really like it a lot. And I've also been playing Pokemon Unite. Ooh. Oh, OK. I haven't sampled this yet. But I'm very intrigued to hear what uh, what you think of it. I don't really know it. I don't. I still don't really know what a MOBA is. You know Splatoon? Yes. Splatoon is basically a MOBA light. Oh. Right. So you've got a team versus a team in one arena. And you're battling to gain supremacy over the other team. Right. So in Splatoon, that's by covering um, the, the most turf with ink. 
in other games that will be um, defeating your opponents the most times. In Pokemon Unite, it's like a MOBA. So you've got a team of five Pokemon on each side. And then in the arena, you've got loads of wild Pokemon, ah. as well as the other ones that are coming towards you trying to get points. But the way you get points is every Pokemon, either in the wild or on the other team that you defeat, gives you like a, a stockpile of points. And then on the other side of the map, on your opponent's area, you've got hoops, which you need to throw your points in in sick dunks. <laughs> it's, it's a mix between Dota and NBA Jam. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it's good. It's got a nice, it's, it's got a good balance to it as well, because you might find yourself really uh, dominating. And each side has uh, five hoops that you score points into. And the more points you get into each hoop, the more damaged it becomes. So I think each one has about 100 points capacity. And as soon as you score 100 points in, it's destroyed. You can't score in it anymore. So you have to go further into enemy territory. So you have to sort of strategize on the fly. You have to go deeper into enemy territory. You have to go into the more dangerous area where you might get ambushed by wild Pokemon, by the other team's Pokemon. And they've got the advantage because in each team's side you get a speed boost so uh, it's easier to to run away if you're getting attacked on your own side and it's easier to catch up with people if uh, if you're kicking their ass as it were yeah it's really good like i, I I've, I've only done a couple of proper like online things but i've done all the tutorials and everything and it's I've not put any money into it either, but there's a lot of Pokemon that you can get, and they're all separated into different classes, like support, attacker, ranged attacker, melee attacker, healer, all-rounder, that sort of thing. So not only do you are you able to sort of pick out the ones that you think, oh, well, I liked playing with this one in the actual mainline Pokemon games, but oh, this one here... I like playing as, say, uh, maybe a rogue in D&D. So I like uh, the, the more furtive and speedier characters. So maybe I'll go for, say, uh, Talonflame, who is who's a little bit who's a little bit quicker, has a little bit better mobility. Or I like playing a healer if, if, if we're playing League of Legends, that sort of thing. So you'd probably go for something um, that has a higher support skill. Yeah, it, I'm liking it a lot. I'll be really interested to hear how you get on with it because I think the the main criticism I've read about it online is that the people that don't pay in are at a huge disadvantage, and it's just it's not a very well balanced system at the moment, anyway. Which which means that I'm unfortunately steering well clear of it because I know my uh, <laughs> I know where my character fails me. <laughs> I, I think it's very admirable that you are aware of that, Jonathan. <laughs> well, thank you. It is really difficult with, with this sort of stuff that if, if you're the type of person that gets swept up in things quite easily like that, they are built to be predatory things, games like this. Yeah. And and anything that has like, you know, the, the ultimate team stuff in FIFA or any loot box based games like, mm. like Overwatch and stuff like that, that they are premium games that still are, are pushing you to spend money as often as possible. And I think for some people that's really difficult to to step back from and kind of be able to say, I, I don't need to do that. That's that's not going to enrich my life in any way. And to kind of be aware that, you know, it could be a problem if you if you start paying in. So, yeah, I think that's a really sensible tack to take. And and yeah, it's, it's a game I know nothing about. But like you say, I, I'd be quite interested to see how you get on, Minty, if you keep on playing. 
and whether you feel that you hit that sort of wall that means that it is it's not a game you can continue to enjoy without significant investment financially yes yes i'm I'm definitely gonna go down the pauper route (laughs) (laughs) the pauper build (laughs) my main thing that i've done in the last couple of weeks uh since we last chatted is i completed skyward sword hd on my switch and i must say i had a fantastic time i spoke in the episode a couple weeks ago that the control mechanics ask a lot of you in terms of how differently it's asking you to play the game if you don't want to play with motion controls and whilst they have done a phenomenal job importing those controls over to buttons it still never came entirely naturally even at like the 35 hour mark when i was fighting the final boss but i had a good enough grip on them to enjoy my time in the game there were some excellent dungeons including a pirate ship which you are constantly shifting between the past and the present that was really really good like a proper yeah like all-time zelda favorite for me i think in terms of dungeon design it does get a little repetitive in its reuse of areas but it does throw some nice sort of like variations like when you return to the forest uh, it's entirely flooded so you have to swim around it instead that's quite cool but the thing that is the real standout in this game is the story like it does have the advantage of being fully aware of the zelda timeline which the other games really aren't you know they've just been shoehorned into a rough order to satiate the whims of a select group of fans but this game knowingly is set right at the start of you know obviously whatever timeline exists and in doing so it, it, it's it's brilliantly engaging as you're watching this world come to be you know the how the triforce came to be the master sword how all of you know the brilliant cyclical nature of the universe uh, how that has sort of been established and it, it is superbly done like the best thing about it is that it makes you appreciate the other Zelda games even more like thinking back to things in Breath of the Wild uh, like I understand like the history of the dragons that you see in that game and references to certain names of places and all, all that sort of stuff it's it's just a it's a brilliantly told story as, as well like with some hefty emotional beats as well I, I cried at one point like it was that affecting like I don't think any other Zelda game has ever made me that emotional not even Twilight Princess which you know I've previously said I think has the best story in a Zelda game but it's it's the character work in this game that really elevates it I mean Zelda as a character is so well written there's some superb supporting characters that have some amazing like character arcs it's it's excellent and I can't wait for you to play it Minty because you know I'm really looking forward to comparing uh, notes on, on so many elements uh, in the game I will say this for it a lot of furore has been made over the amiibo for the game and the so-called fast travel mechanic in the game being locked behind it. I will say that that furore is grade A certified balonus. No, even more than balonus, two. It's baloney. As I didn't use the amiibo once, nor did I feel the need for it at any point. So shut up, I guess. It's just, yeah, it's people are so, so annoying. Something I found out about the game, which actually ties into what I was saying in the other episode about how I felt that this game was more akin to the DS Zelda games than the mainline 3D home console games. Skyward Sword's director is the guy who helms and co-helms both of those DS games. Oh, so, like, ah, you, you knew it. And whilst it, it doesn't reach the giddy epic heights of Wind Waker or Twilight Princess or even Ocarina of Time and Majora's Mask, it does prove that you can make a Zelda game with motion controls at its heart or you know a a very different control setup at its heart and 
yeah, they proved it, even though, yeah, it never will be as fun to play as a standard 3D Zelda game, in my mind. And I must say that the most I noticed this dramatic shift in controls was when I then went back to Monster Hunter Rise after I finished, and my autopilot was shot to bits, as it probably took me as much time to unlearn the controls as it did to learn them in the first place. And that was, <laughs> that was really frustrating because, you know, I kept on like holding L to control the camera, which in Monster Hunter accesses your shortcut wheel. <laughs> so I was doing all manner of things in the heat of battle until I, you know, got used to the normal controls again. But I am, I'm really, really glad to, to have got back to Monster Hunter. I've actually, I've actually, I'm pretty sure I finished what is essentially like the main story now. And it was incredibly fun incredibly satisfying to play through all of like the high level quests i will say that like playing online with people certainly on the high level quests it can be quite frustrating when they're you know they're not pulling their weight or they're not as prepared as you are if they've just been coasting on other online sessions or they haven't got the right gear or they're just a bit careless or stupid it can fast derail a quest which is is annoying especially if it's like a longer quest where you've got to hunt say three big monsters and they cock it up right at the last minute and cause the mission to fail then you have to do the whole thing all over again and it's it's a it's a bit maddening because like the, the way it works in the games you have like a shared pool of lives essentially so three of you can be absolutely on it but if one dickhead comes along and faints three times it's game over for all of you so it like it was more of a, a slog at the uh, you know the sort of the later stages of the game because it was luck of the draw whether or not i got paired with good people or not i got i got through it and it was it was still it was still really good fun like because even if you fail a mission like uh, time will pass in the in the sort of the main village and you can be crafting and trading and 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 hunting for resources and materials and all that sort of stuff and that was really really good fun to sort of get myself into the sort of you know the strongest position i could your sort of your overall progress is charted by your hunter rank in the game you get to Hunter rank 7 by the point where you get to the credits uh, of the game, which I, I reached, you know, sort of after about 15 hours or something. And then you reach these sort of story milestones when your Hunter rank gets up to like 20, 30, 40, 50. And that's maybe six, seven quests to raise your sort of Hunter rank by 10 or something. And that's when you get to Hunter rank 50, that's when you kind of get the final quest to sort of finish the story, which is great. There is it appears a bonus quest for getting up to 100 on your hunter rank which at the moment i really can't be bothered to do because i'm probably you know i'm probably gonna have to do like 30 40 quests of which i'm not i'm not ticking them off i'm just redoing old ones because i've done all the quests now and yeah you can do that to you know obviously get like all the, all the last bits of materials and stuff like that that you need to make like the weapons that you want and the armor and keep refining and keep building and so there is always reason to do it but i think for now i'm quite happy to you know to to to, to put it down and have a have a bit of a break although like capcom are so generous with the way that they roll out additional content like that there is tons of paid dlc fortunately it's all cosmetic stuff sort of like sea of thieves like that where all of the additional quests and all of the story stuff all of that you just get totally free so they're not asking you to pay into the game to to enjoy it which is really really good and they're doing loads of tie-ins with other games so at the moment they've they've done like a crossover with monster hunter stories 2 and they've got a tie-in with akami coming up where you can get you know some 
Akami themed skins and weapons dog. and stuff like that. Some dog thing. Yeah, absolutely. You can make your dog look like that dog, and um, and, and they're going to be continuing doing that. Uh, so, <laughs> and, and the really nice thing about that is that when they release like a bit of an update like that, I'll happily go back in, do a few quests, get some more stuff, and you know my hunter rank will rise to the point where. I will be doing that final bonus mission. So it's, it's, I feel like I can sort of take my time with it whilst continuing to enjoy it. And I mean, obviously, obviously I'm not satisfied with, with where I've got to, despite the fact that I put it down because I have got Monster Hunter Stories 2 on the way, which will be arriving tomorrow. And the really nice thing is that today I've, I've, I've started the demo of it, which is the first bit of the game. And then that your save file continues on to the main game. So it means I can actually make a start on it today, which is really, really nice. And they've changed something massively in the game over the first one because the way the game sort of works, it is essentially a tr- traditional like RPG with turn-based battles, uh, with, with you know Monster Hunter lore and world and details and everything sort of like folded in. But the way that you sort of get more monsters is in you get eggs and you hatch them, and it's a bit of a sort of like a gacha sort of system where it's a bit of a lucky draw whether or not you get what you're looking for what you're after there are certain ways you can sort of control it and stuff but in the first monster hunter stories game which i think was on 3ds you could pay into the game to affect that and that just sounds way too sort of damaging and tempting well tempting and potentially damaging then for me but they've removed all of that which is great and it means i I feel sort of safe in enjoying that game and i feel confident that capcom are being generous enough with their you know with their content and what they're giving you and i think that there's some crossovers with rise as well in stories too now that i finished that so that'll be really nice and yeah i'm just i'm i'm really i'm really really glad that i've got into the series and i'm really looking forward to to playing you know well experiencing the world in a in a, in a whole a whole new way and it's uh yeah it's certainly going to keep me occupied for for a little bit and i've still got a stack of ps5 games here that i need to get back to all of that before monkey ball and metroid dread come out in october so i've got a bit of time i've got a couple of months i can you can do it i can do this. you can do it this. if i knuckle down i can hunt these monsters <laughs> How about you, Chris? What have you played in the last couple of weeks? Just odds and sods. It's been really bitty. I'm I'm at the start of my summer holiday uh, at time of recording. And there's always this period of transition where I know I have a lot of time ahead of me. So realistically, I should feel very free and I should put something on that will take 50 hours and it shouldn't matter. (laughs) But I I always have this worry that it's like, if I play that, then then I'm losing an hour of the whole pool of time. And it's really hard to get into just a relaxed mindset for the summer holiday. It's, it's so strange having a, like a, a timetabled large chunk of time for being a teacher. It's just a very different way of working. And and the first part of the holiday is, is feeling like this. And then the last part of the holiday is stressing about going back. So yeah. it's not quite as relaxing as, as it looks on paper when you say to someone, I've got all this time. So I, I haven't committed to things properly yet. Like I've played a tiny bit of Samus Returns, but still not enough to have had any real revelations about it. I'm, I'm still not used to the reflex and, and timing-based counterattack thing. I haven't really got used to the ability to aim freely. And, and basically, I just need to put aside a couple of hours to play and get settled with it properly. I'm determined to beat it this summer. It's not a long game. I'm, I know I can do that this summer. Uh, like, I'm absolutely sure I will find that time to do it. I just haven't devoted the right sort of headspace to it so far. So that's kind of on the burner but it's, it's a slow burn. I've done a bit more grinding on Monster Attack, you know, the, the first Earth Defense Force game. I'm about 70% of the way through that now, according to my save. I, I've beaten the game in the first three difficulties. I'm over halfway on the fourth, but it is so hard at this stage that 
realistically, to make much more progress, I need to go back to the early difficulties and just play the entire game again just to grind the stats. <laughs> and and to be honest, my my stamina is waning. <laughs> like I, I I really love it. I, I really love that franchise, but it is at the point now where it's like, do I want to play the same levels for what is now the the fourth time just to try and do them a fifth? Uh, so I'm, I might put that down at some point, but it has been fun. I've done a little bit more of the Little Nightmares DLC. Oh, yeah. I think me and Georgia are now about midway through the second of the three mini chapters because they were initially released as three chunks and then they've been kind of stitched together for this complete collection. And because of that, they do feel quite segmented in how each one is based around a certain area or a certain style of puzzles. The first one is all based around water sections, which is terrifying because your character can't swim. Oh, come but on. a big nasty thing can. Oh. So you're you're trying to plot your route across platforms and there's a lot of like big gasps and jump scares because of that that's been really hard to get through. But I did it. <laughs> we made that part. Well done. And the second of, of these three chapters now is based around using other NPCs to help solve puzzles, which has been quite a nice change of pace. It feels a lot less stressful uh, because of that. Obviously, I've not seen the third chapter yet, so I don't know what that's like. But as I said before, other than the ridiculous load times, it's it's a really good game, a really, really strong game. So I am happy that I've been gradually persevering through this because I have I have thoroughly enjoyed it, other than that kind of like six, seven hours of loading time that I've lost <laughs> in yeah. between. The last thing I've played is going to sound like garbage shovelware, because it is <laughs> brilliant. I've, I've played uh, a mini game collection on the Switch called Thirty in One Game Collection Volume One. What is your problem? And it is a, <laughs> it is a package probably aimed mainly at families because each game can be played competitively with three other players, but each one also has a high score challenge. And similar to, do you remember um, uh, what was it called? Forty two worldwide games on the DS. Yeah, 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 yeah. and and fifty one. Worldwide classics. Yeah, I can't remember the, the terminology. It was different in each region. But yeah. the DS one was kind of ranking you on each game. And I found that really addictive, even though you're just doing simple card games and stuff like that. And and for this, it's it's got a similar sort of feel that they're different sorts of games. They're different things to do. But you are aiming to get a gold medal on each one. And I found that high score challenge quite a lot of fun. So, you know, there's, there's analogs of classic games like Snake or a mini golf game or, or Flappy Bird, that kind of thing. There's other simple arcade style score chasing games that riff on kind of endless runners or, or basic tower defense or, or card matching, like I mentioned. And it's not a high budget production by any means, but it is really solid. And for whatever reason, I, I did really enjoy it. There is a second collection called Volume 2, would you believe it? Brilliant. <laughs> and uh, I've played a little bit of this with, with Tom, my brother, after finishing the first one. And the presentation is better. The games seem a little bit deeper. And they've just been nice to have one in the background especially because this weird kind of almost anxious feeling i get in in holidays it's like they're both very low stress low investment games and and it's kind of it's helping me get into the mindset of just thinking I, i've got a whole day i could do what i like so i i do really appreciate that you both know that i i love going to bat for rubbish games but i don't actually think <laughs> these are that rubbish you know they, they definitely look like the sort of wee era shovelware and they're not games I'm going to suddenly put on my list as like all-time classics. <laughs> they're, they're pretty forgettable, but they have been really entertaining. So, you know, if they want to publish a volume three, I'll probably buy that as well. <laughs> uh, so yeah, that's that's about all I've done. Uh, that has been my, my week or two. Oh, fair play. How much are they? Uh, I think each one was 15 or 20 pounds. Oof, okay. <laughs> I was thinking if they were 
eight ninety nine. Yeah, I would probably I would buy one and try it out because I do I do quite like that sort of thing as well. Yeah, like yeah. I loved forty two all time classics on the DS, and I did pick up fifty two worldwide classics. Or yeah, like you yeah, said, yeah. That, it was, the naming conventions were a bit all over the place. And it, whilst it was a nice sort of collection on the Switch, it didn't have that same... Not as good. No, it didn't have that same sort of drive to like get really good at a game to, to get the gold medal and, and then carry on, which I which I found so addictive in uh, in the DS one. Yeah. But I'll, you know what? I'll probably... I'll pop it on my wish list. Yeah, do and, that. Uh, if it goes and on it, sale, I'll... If, um, if it comes down, I'll let you know. No doubt. No doubt. Minty, what's your third favourite video game of all time? Ha. Huh. Yeah, I'll tell you. <laughs> Ooh, I always thought it would be so easy to talk about everything on my top 10 because they're all games that I love so much and I've either played them consistently throughout my gaming life or had such a vivid recent experience that, of course, was, well, they would come naturally. But... Of course, I could just chat about this game or that for hours on end because the strength of the experience was so vast and so powerful that every minute detail could be recalled instantly. It has been hard, though, because these aren't just games that I've played and loved. These are masterpieces that have been so carefully constructed, so skillfully made that the years I've spent playing them have sunk in so deeply really taken root and become something so important and so intrinsic to what I look for in enjoying a game and many other things in life that extolling their virtues becomes something quite difficult to express since I I, I can't put your hand upon my leaping breast whenever I look <laughs> back on them. For shame. For example, the, the crisp and clear direction of Mario 3, the emotional meteor that was... Mario and Luigi Dream Team Brothers. Paper Mario showing me how to make things that are already so beloved even better. They've embedded themselves in my heart, and aside from inviting every listener to my house and playing through each game with me on the sofa, it seems really difficult to just convey how special they are. Today's game, though, I grew up with, and weirdly, sort of played backwards. I first got it pre-owned, and the save file at the top was basically a cleared save, so it was terrifying, to be honest. A scary <laughs> world full of monsters that had no qualms in absolutely squashing poor experienced me. I was also cursed by uh, temperamental and janky hardware at the time as well, so that strange and horrible world that I was first beholden to just took a little nudge of the console to basically forced me to play through it from the beginning again. We often cite the the face at the start of Mario 64 as a, as, as a game outside a game, but in a game. A succinct and playful demonstration of what you can expect when you press the start button. A statement of intent. My third favourite game is, I think, the near pinnacle of drawing you into a game without you having to do a single ding-dang thing except turning the console on. Dramatic music, stacks of lore, clear and high stakes, ancient power sealed away to keep it from being abused by evil, a bloodline splattered and washed away, dark forces converging to twist the realm to the designs of a cataclysmic overlord. Of course, you are tasked with stopping it, but 
what fun would it be if you didn't fail sort of halfway through and then be forced to slash your way through the dark world to put right the wicked schemes of a rude wizard spurned on by the dying wishes of a heroic uncle it's up to a plucky pink-haired little lad to do what is expected of a main character slaying monsters rescuing princesses collecting shit like pendants and crystals to gain the power of the last survivors of that bloodline that sealed away the golden power a titanic and immersive adventure that has long been regarded as one of the greatest of all time what else could it be other than the legend of zelda a link to the past oh i was expecting a, oh. i was expecting a rug pull I was expecting a rug pull, thinking this has to be it this time. <laughs> I would have put a million pounds on this being your number one. Oh, really? Which now means the yeah. the next two entries could could be any game in the known world. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> like, like, I've got Amazing. nothing. I have absolutely nothing. <laughs> Unbelievable. Incredible. <laughs> That reminds me, have either of you played Link to the Past? Only the first hour. Okay. It was on my list. Oh, of course, yes, yes. I remember one of you hadn't played it. Yeah, I, I played the first hour when we did the uh, Chris and Minty Adventure Month. Mm, <laughs> yeah. Mm. Obviously, I would encourage you to carry on with it because there is just nothing like it. It's so simple to play and so rewarding. You start off basically throwing a middle finger to the establishment. A telepathic distress message from the titular princess warbles into your house. Your uncle then heeds the call and leaves, sword in hand, telling you to wait until he comes back in the morning. Who would wait, though? I mean, obviously, in real life, I probably would. <laughs> not, not in a video game. So you find him, you strip his corpse of his martial aids, and you rescue the princess. Good game. Everyone's happy. A lovely adventure. Only joking, that's only the start of it. <laughs> as you crawl through the sewers of Hyrule Castle with uh, Princess Zelda in hand, as you escape the dark wizard Aghanim, you find yourself in the sanctuary on the outskirts of town. And the kindly sage there tells you to look for the power to vanquish evil, which of course is the evil destroying blade, the master sword. But not just anybody can wield the Master Sword. You've got to prove that you're worthy of wielding it by collecting the three pendants of wisdom, power, and courage, which we all know are attributes of the three goddesses in the land of Hyrule. And only then can you pull the Master Sword from its plinth and take on Aghanim to destroy him once and for all. But of course it doesn't end there, does it? Because even though you're able to defeat him once, he has done just enough of his evil plan to pull you into the dark world. A world tainted by his dark designs, underpinned by the power of the Triforce. So then of course you go through this twisted facsimile of Hyrule. You collect the seven crystals that house the seven maidens who were the last of the bloodline of the knights that sealed away the golden power to keep it from falling into evil hands again. And then you put the world to right once you defeat not only Aghanim, the evil wizard, but also the dark forces that conspire from behind him, that pull the strings, that turn from bats into massive pigs, and really scare 11-year-old Minty. <laughs> <laughs>
Let's talk about how it feels to play. You've got four buttons on your Super Nintendo controller. One of them, you swing your sword. One of them, you use your item. One of them brings up your map. And one of them is just a general interact button. Masterfully, the simplicity of the controls give the wildly generous spread of items you pick up on your adventure real room to flourish. I mean, most everything you get gives you the the means to progress in the game or makes general gameplay easier. So, oh, here's an item that you need to beat this dungeon. You can also use it in the overworld to either get to the next area, find treasure, more health, a cave with some weirdo in it that will tell you a story. It's like blowing bubbles in a glass of milk. It grows and develops and it's just really fucking fun to do. It's something that we see in countless games that have come out since this game and it's just it's just incredible design really it's just it makes you uh, it makes you want to explore it makes you want to use these new items like how can I how can I use this here how can I use this item to get over there onto that thing that I've seen since about half an hour into playing this to finally get into that treasure chest it might only have 50 rupees in it but Honestly, it is the journey that you go on and the friends you make along the way. <laughs> it's so much fun. And the aesthetic of it as well. Obviously, at this point, we know that um, I think 3D happened too early. And we have <laughs> Famously. We have all of these, yeah, all these, all these janky looking 3D games that are just, they've not aged well. Even if they're still fun to play, they're not, they're not great to look at. But the, uh, the detail in the pixel art in this game the aesthetic of it and the music of it as well. It doesn't just look good. It really invokes uh, this this sense of um, this sense of danger, desperation, especially the dungeons as well. There's a particular dungeon in the Dark World called the Thieves' Den. It's this terrible labyrinth full of uh, full of dragons and strange monsters with a particular twist in it which uh, you can find alluded to in pretty much the first half an hour of booting up the game. And once you once you sort of put those pieces together, you think, oh, wow, this is what that guy was talking about. Oh, that's terrifying. It's time to put that right. Swing, swing, swing. It's just great. Uh, the, the light world, this is something that Nintendo loves, isn't it? A light world and a dark world. The light world is, uh, it is light, it's triumphant, it's sort of got this this inspiring feel to it. But then as soon as you think, oh, well, I, I, I've, I've completed this now and I'm about to take out the, uh, the evil wizard and it's all good. The moment he pulls you into the dark world and you see this, this, this twisted visage of what Hyrule is corrupted by dark power, it's... It's nothing short of breathtaking. It really is. It's foreboding. It's strange. And not only that, you've got this entire new world to explore. And every single part of the light world that you've been in, you can now explore again and find out just what's happened now that it's been corrupted by dark power. There's one place where you've got a maze where if you reach the end in 15 seconds, you get a piece of heart, let's say. If you go back there in the dark world, it's been taken over by some some weird bloke who's who's been transformed into. He looks like a flute, <laughs> and he's bought the plot of land, or he owns the plot of land, and it's now a digging mini game. There's just that weird familiarity, but it's just off enough 
to keep it fresh and engaging and exciting and really gives you the drive to really carry on and not only just play through the game and get it done and get it all sorted and save the princess save the world etc but just just to find out what, what's going on in this cave that was a fairy fountain oh now there's a treasure chest in there fantastic oh cool now these chickens are they're, they're skeleton chickens i wonder if they still uh, attack you if you slash them to bits yes yes they do <laughs> oh, oh no oh god no hmm Wonderful, really, really wonderful. And of course, we can't be talking about a game that's nearly, wow, what would it be, 25 years old now? Without talking about the other uh, things that people have been doing to it in recent years. So we've had um, we've had so many speedruns of people just bending it this way and that, breaking it in so many ways. Like You can see it being beaten in pretty much under an hour nowadays from people just sort of clipping through the walls going out of bounds and doing things in this order that order this that and the other which is all good and fine to watch if you just want to get an idea of it just very quickly but the real joy i think these these days if you've played it to death like i have comes from randomizers which i've talked about on the podcast maybe gosh probably about a year ago now yeah a long time back mm. So you've got all these, all these, all these clever people who have managed to make to write programs that basically shuffle all the contents of all the chests in the game and still make it completable. It's fantastic. Once you once you've completed a game like this so many times, you're like, oh, okay, I'm just going through the motions. I'm going through it again. Oh yeah, this that and that. But then to just have this same game and open up this chest that you're so familiar with, and instead of it being the bow, it's just 20 rupees. Oh, okay. Well, what, what, where can I go now with what I have? And your neurons are firing, trying to figure out, ah, oh, I know that this game can be beaten, and I know that it's in my power to beat it. And I've played it so much, and I love it so much that I can beat it, and I'm going to after a good 20 years of enjoying this game and just playing it so long and so so often it really breathed new life into it for me and even going back to it now after i've sort of gotten to terms with the fact that not every treasure chest is where i know it should be now going back to the original game and just having that slight shift to the left as it were it's made the original game just a little bit more fresh it's an incredible game. It really is. And it's my third favourite of all time. Legend of Zelda, Link to the Past. Amazing. Wowzers. I agree with everything you've said. And I'm astounded to think that there are two games <laughs> that are higher on your list that I don't even know what they are. Yeah, in my first draft of this, I had a, <laughs> I had a really wanky intro that was like, there, there are games that, uh, that inspire questions. From all <laughs> How did they manage to do it? How can anything top this? How can there be two games that Minty thinks is better than Link to the Past? <laughs> but there we go. That's it. Link to the Past. I love it. Incredible. Well done. So there we have it. That was Minty's first favorite. No, hang on a minute. No, it was Minty's third favorite video game of all time. What it was? Legend of Zelda: Link to the Past. Goodness me! What a treat! What an absolute Christmas treat! If you've enjoyed this episode, please do share the podcast on your social media platforms. Tell other people about it. Tag somebody that you think would like it. Why not? 
You can find all of our social media links on our link tree. That is linktr.ee forward slash O3C podcast, Facebook, Instagram, Twitch, YouTube, everything. And you can reach out to us individually if you like. You can find me on Twitter at Jonathan Dunn. I am forever resident at Chaz underscore Hodges. And I'm Clement underscore Boo. And if you're really enjoying what we're doing and fancy supporting us a little bit more and also being at the forefront of the the future of the podcast, then you can go to patreon.com slash our three cents. Have a look at some of the perks you can get there, and we'd be very appreciative of that if you did if if, if you were to uh, to to back us, get involved and and join us. There's some exciting things unfold. Uh, in in time. (laughs) And now, a word from our sponsor. And now, a word from our sponsor. And now, a word from our sponsor. Hi, Stu. Hi, Luke. Do you fancy doing a podcast covering every segment of every episode of the beloved 90s cartoon Animaniacs? No, I hate Animaniacs. Join me, Luke, the Warner lover, and him, Stu, the Warner resistor, for Animani Chat, covering every segment of every episode of the hit 90s cartoon Animaniacs, as well as its many spin-offs, including comics, video games, and the movie, not to mention the recent reboot. It's gonna be explainy to the max. Oh... Hey there, this is Jeremy Parrish, and if you're a fan of classic video game soundtracks, or if you just love 20-minute rock epics about war-ready armadillos that battle Catholicism, you should listen to Alexander's Ragtime Band. Join the power trio of myself, Elliot Long, and James Eldred each month as we talk about the most pretentious music of all, progressive rock, right here on the Greenlit Podcast Network.